You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.redwoodbaptist.org. We hope and pray the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. If you would take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. So glad that you're in your place this morning. If if you're a first-time guest here, uh, I would like to say please come back next week to hear our pastor preach, because I don't know about today, but uh, I would love for you to come and hear our pastor preach. He's away right now, preaching at another church, being a blessing over there, and so I'd encourage you to come back and experience Redwood at its full, full value. Um, here this morning, Matthew chapter 11, thankful that you're in your place this morning as well, church. Uh, I believe God does have something for us today. Um, And I hope that each and every Sunday that you come, you come with the sense that he has something for you. God does not bring us here to leave us empty. He brings us here to fill us up. Um, And we could come here sometimes with the thought of, well, I need something specific. But if we come with an open heart and let God put on the plate what is good to eat, you can leave here this morning filled. Okay? And so I'm just thankful that you're in your place this morning, and I believe that God does want to work, and I'm just praying that he does do that exact thing this morning. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 11. We're going to read here verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. The words will not be on the screen. If you you need to, to see the text, there's a black Bible in front of you, and if you don't have a Bible, you can keep that. It's a gift from us. But Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1 says this. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Verse 2, And when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto him, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. So this morning, if you're taking notes, I'd like to entitle this message, When in Doubt. When in Doubt. How to respond to the times of uncertainty. So let's pray one more time. And then we'll get right to the message. Father, we come before you again. And Lord, we pray that God, you would have your Holy Spirit do the work that only he can. Father, I pray personally that you would give me the power and the strength to preach your word. I pray that what I'd say would be what you would want. Take away that which I would say that is not beneficial and keep those words in front that are good. Help me, Lord, to hide behind your cross and may Jesus be seen again. And Lord, I pray for our people. May you do a work in their hearts as you've done in mine already. We love you, Lord, and we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Many Christians struggle with doubt or have struggled with doubt. But if we're all honest, every one of us have doubted sometime in our life or another. We've doubted sometimes whether if Christianity is true or if Jesus is the way. 
For some in this room, you might be in a season of doubt. You might be wrestling with thoughts of uncertainty. And for others, you might be experiencing one of the toughest times of your life in an uncontrollable situation. Some here may be doubting their purpose or specific calling. Some here may be doubting their salvation, not knowing if they're truly saved. But whatever the case is, the fact of the matter is doubt is a part of our lives. And the question is not, will doubt come? The question this morning is, when doubt comes, what will be our response? What will we do with doubt? What is our game plan to help us deal with doubt as we deepen our faith? We find here in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist, in a similar place that you and I have been in before. John the Baptist is in a moment here facing doubt. John the Baptist is in a place, he's in prison, and he's uncertain of who Jesus is. He's in this prison just thinking whether he did what was right or if he ushered in the right Messiah. He found himself in a place of doubt. And I believe that in Matthew chapter 11 lays out for us some encouraging and faith-deepening truths that you and I can use when we are in doubt. So the first thing here as we get right into the message, when in doubt, what will be our response? What are some encouraging truths? Number one, you are not alone. You are not alone. As I said before, many Christians before you and after you will struggle with doubt in their lives sometime or another. And just because you are experiencing doubt doesn't mean that you're the only one. But you might say, well, I'm not a great Christian. I'm not like the people in the Bible that God used to do mighty things. They would never doubt. I would say, have you not read the Bible? Have you not seen that God has used men and women who are flawed and who have doubted? There wasn't some second-level favor with the saints of old, and yet today's message on John is on John the Baptist, the one of whom Jesus would say is the greatest born among women. You know, when I got, <laughs> I was going to say birth, okay? When I was born, nobody shouted, this is the greatest amongst the women ever. No, what I was told is that I got shot out like a football, all right, and the doctor caught me, all right? That was my birth experience, whether that's true or not, that's what they told me, okay? And so, I didn't have any hype men, all right? But John the Baptist was going to be known as the greatest born among women. Matthew 11, 11 says this, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How encouraging is this? John the Baptist would experience a bout with doubt just like any of us would. And John the Baptist wouldn't be the only one in the Bible that would doubt. There would be many more. So don't get it twisted. You're not alone. You're not alone. Here's this example that I got from a report back in 2017, a Barna report released on spiritual doubt that showed two-thirds of Christians faced doubt. Roxanne Stone, the editor-in-chief of Barna Group, would say this in the article, and I quote, Spiritual doubt has been a reality of the Christian journey since the disciples, and today is no different. 
just like the first century Christians, their 21st century counterparts question aspects of their theology, doubt the existence of God, and mourn his seeming absence during hard times. Now, when I read this report, I thought, man, this was going to be a big, discouraging report, but the report in its entirety is actually more encouraging as a whole. But I took this part of of the article just to bring to our attention this morning and to show that we are not alone in this. Now, here's the thing. I'm not uplifting doubt this morning, so don't get that twisted. I'm not saying doubt is a good thing and that you should keep doing it, you know what I mean? No, I'm saying that doubt is something we all struggle with. And what are we going to do with it when it comes? And so, God doesn't want us to stay in that place of doubt, but I just want you to know you're not alone in the fight. How awesome is it to know that our brothers and sisters who came before us struggled with doubt yet remained faithful? Now let's look, now let's think about John here this morning, and let's see what might have caused these doubts to doubt in reference to the identity of Jesus to arise in his heart. Obviously, there were some things that got to John that I believe you and I struggle with as well. But first, before we see these doubts, we have to get some context, some background of who John the Baptist is. But let's look at John's doubt first in Matthew eleven two through 3. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. That's how you send a text message back in the day. And he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now, as I said, to understand why these doubts would have come about Jesus' identity, we have to know a little bit more about John's background. So let's start with this. John the Baptist would be prophesied as the usher of the Messiah. He would be prophesied as the forerunner to Jesus. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 3. On the screen it says, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then also in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Then in this very chapter, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus would once again confirm the identity and purpose of John to the crowd that had gathered. Matthew 11:10. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So before John even shows up on the scene, he's prophesied in the book of Isaiah and the book of Malachi. Then, as we go down further, we find the first encounter between Jesus and John. Now, I asked my wife this question. I said, when was the first encounter with Jesus and John? And my wife said, well, wasn't it the baptism of Jesus? And I said, that's what I thought, but it's not, okay? So if in your head you thought the first encounter is the baptism, it wasn't. This is pretty awesome. Here's the first encounter between Jesus and John. Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 44. And Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. Before this, in the same chapter, she gets Jesus put inside of her. Okay? She conceives Jesus, the Holy Spirit's inside of her. So, 
she decides to go because God says to her, look, your cousin Elizabeth is with child as well. She's been with child for six months. So Mary decides to go visit her. And he entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. So Elizabeth sees Mary, and Mary salutes Elizabeth, and then all of a sudden, the baby inside of Elizabeth, who is John the Baptist, leaps inside of her belly. I don't know what that's like, okay? But you women who have had babies know kind of what a kick and a whatever is inside of there, but I don't. But it was probably pretty cool. And so, the first encounter we see here, but look at, look at verse 44. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Mary, at that point, had Jesus inside of her. And then, Elizabeth, at that point, had John inside of her. How cool is that? Whenever I read that, it always gives me this big smile, and my eyes begin to water up like I'm watching a Hallmark movie. How amazing is this? John the Baptist, even as a baby, in the presence of the Messiah, already leaps for joy in the womb. John was already doing what he was supposed to do, even as a baby. He knew that Jesus was right there. I could just imagine the baby, like, trying to move away all that, I guess, placenta. I don't know what it is. That's Jesus over there. And he's like, hey, hey, that, that's Jesus. And he's, like, banging on the belly. Jesus, can you hear me? Like, it's pretty crazy. But he was already doing what he was called to do. He was already making aware that's the Messiah. So as John can, as we look at this background of John, we see that he's prophesied to be the forerunner. We see his first encounter with Jesus. And then we see John continuing as an adult, ministering and preparing the way just like he was prophesied to do. He would preach a message of repentance. Now here's the thing. John wasn't a mess around preacher. He was preaching straightforward repentance for the kingdom is at hand. He preached a message of repentance. He was a straight shooter. John knew his purpose and why he was there. But then soon enough, John would run into the religious and faithless legalistic elite. He would call vipers. And in John 1, we find the Pharisees sending priests and Levites to question John and his ministry. John 1, 19 through 17 says this, and this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, when th what, thou, what then art thou, Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? I love it. He embraces his purpose. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not the Christ or Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye not know. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchets I am not worthy to unloose. What humility. Then, 
after John would have that encounter, we find here then in verse 29, probably John's greatest words he's ever spoken. John 1, 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Finally, the Messiah has arrived. And John's ministry would come to an end as Jesus' ministry would begin. And then John would experience one of the greatest things ever. He would see the Trinity on display as Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God would come together during that baptism. And John would say, he must increase and I must decrease. What a ministry. What a life. To be the forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah. But then things would turn in a drastic way for John. John would be put into prison for almost two years because he would preach against Herod the Tetrarch for stealing his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. And oftentimes, speaking out against an evil ruler doesn't really turn out so well for the preacher. And yet, John does anyway because he knows what's right. And then in Luke 3, 18-20, says this, And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. This is John. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Now we find ourselves right back to our text this morning, back to Matthew chapter 11. John is now in prison, and he's awaiting his death sentence, which, if you read further, is going to be beheading at the request of Herod's evil wife who despised John. And on the top of that, the word on the street is that Jesus is not panning out to be what the Messiah should be. So John is cast in prison. He just had this great highlight reel of ministry. And all of a sudden, he is down in the dungeon, locked up, about to get beheaded, for preaching righteousness. And on top of that, the one that he ushered in as the Messiah, he's getting word that he's not really being like the Messiah. John is now by himself, thinking, pondering, did I choose the wrong guy? Did I usher in the wrong Messiah? John believed he was ushering in the Messiah who would establish his kingdom right then and there and overthrow the Roman government just like everyone else believed. And as John is in prison hearing from his disciples how that Jesus is eating with publicans and sinners and that there isn't, there isn't any kingdom being established, he begins to wonder, is this really the Messiah? John is sitting there in prison thinking, is there another if Jesus is the Messiah, I wouldn't be sitting in this prison. I wouldn't be waiting to get executed. You know who would be sitting in this prison if Jesus was Messiah? Herod would be sitting in this prison. And Herod would be getting ready to get executed. John continues to, take, to ask questions just like we do in our own times of uncertainty. Now you got to understand there had been false messiahs during the time of John's ministry. And what if Jesus was another one? 
So far, Jesus' ministry wasn't exactly what John had always imagined the Messiah would look like. And he probably thought, could this imprisonment be God's judgment on my life? Now, here's the thing. I find two avenues in which doubt can arise within our hearts. Two places. The place of uncontrolled circumstances and the place of unmet expectations. And if we're all honest, we find that most of our doubts spring from these two areas. An uncontrolled circumstance and an unmet expectation. Have you been there before? Have you experienced that before? God, I'm serving you. God, I'm doing my best. But why am I in this place? God, I love you. God, I'm faithful. When nobody goes, I go. But why is this happening to me? I thought you were supposed to be like, do I look for another? We've all had that. But I want to say, the story doesn't end that way. John may have doubts, but there's always a way out of doubt. And so Jesus would have the answer that would diminish John's doubt and yet deepen John's faith. Let's look at our second point this morning. When in doubt, take your doubts to Jesus. When in doubt, take your doubts to Jesus. Look at verse 1 of our chapter this morning. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto him, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. When in doubt, take your doubts to Jesus. Jesus isn't afraid of them. What's so amazing about this when I studied about <laughs> doubts is this. Jesus is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your uncertainty. You will not stump him or trip him up or catch him in a lie. Jesus wants your doubts because he wants to deepen your faith. He wants them. I don't know what it is, but there's that weird barrier that if we have some kind of doubt towards God that we're too afraid to come to him, but he's like, no, 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 no. Bring them to me. I've got answers. You see the patience and the grace of Jesus in the response of John's doubt. We see this awesome thing that should encourage all of the doubters here this morning. We see a grace and a patience with John the Baptist. When I first read this passage, I'm like, are you kidding me, John? Are you serious? Come on, you've been prophesied to be the forerunner. You were the one who said, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You were the one who got to baptize Jesus. You're his cousin. You leaped in the womb when you were just a baby. And yet all of a sudden, you're doubting him? John, tighten it up. Come on. 
Like literally that was my response, but it was very self-righteous, wasn't it? But that's not Jesus' response. How amazing is it that Jesus responds in such a gracious, loving way? He doesn't rip John's head off. He gives John exactly what's, what he needs. Jesus answers with patience and grace so that the faith of John does not decrease, but increase. He wants John's faith to get strengthened. Not only does Jesus answer John's doubt and doesn't, uh, not only does Jesus answer John's doubt, but here's the other thing that I see. He doesn't hang it over his head. When you mess up, don't get it twisted. God doesn't take your mess up and go like this. He doesn't want to remember it. It's forgiven. He doesn't go, oh, you're coming to me, but do you remember? He doesn't do that. He forgets it. What I love about this is that when you doubt, he's not going to hang it over your head. Because if you look at Matthew 11, verse 7 through 11, it says this, and as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitude, the multitude was there. They're like, what's wrong with John? Is he losing his faith? Is, is he doubting you? But this is what Jesus says concerning John to the crowd. He says, what went ye out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among men that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Even after the fact that John doubted, Jesus still said, this is the greatest one. Jesus still said he is more than a prophet. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not praising John's doubt. I'm praising God's grace. I'm uplifting God's un unmatchable mercy towards John. And yet he has that same for you. And if you're doubting this morning, don't be afraid because Jesus isn't afraid of it. And he loves you. He wants to strengthen your faith. And what would be, what would it be to crush you? What advantage would that be to crush you when he can uplift you through his grace? He's the greatest born among women. And he just doubted me about 10 minutes ago. If you have doubts this morning, take them to Jesus. He's not afraid and you shouldn't be either. He wants to answer them and he won't shame you over it. Jesus wants to deepen strengthen and add to your faith. You do more damage by holding on to your doubts. You're hurting yourself by doing this instead of coming to Jesus and giving it to him. No one more. Now one more thing here to see here is when we take our doubts to Jesus, Jesus then takes our doubts to Scripture. What Jesus' response to John was an Old Testament prophecy of what the Messiah would do. Jesus replied with scripture. Jesus replied with truth. And John would know ultimately that Jesus was saying this. He was saying, John, rest assured, I am the Messiah. Trust me. 
I may not be doing the things the way you think I should do. I'm doing the things the way the Messiah would. So trust me. Matthew 11, 4 through 6, said, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John these, those things which you do see, which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And verse 5 is the reference back to Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And for you and I, we have to understand that this book is vitally important. The Word of God is what's going to diminish doubts. The Word of God, which is forever settled in heaven, which never changes, which isn't outdated nor, near, nor needs to be updated. This Bible right here, the Word of, of God, is sufficient enough for your doubts. And when we come to Jesus. Jesus will take those and bring us to the Word. That's why it's important. You know this book. That's why it's important. You love the Word of God. That's why it's important. You fight for time. That's why it's important. You memorize this book because in moments of your struggles and doubts, you're going to need to rest back in what is foundational, solid, and true, and never moves. That's what you need. And yet Jesus shows again, it's at my word where you find freedom and strengthen faith. If you have doubts, please don't hold them to yourself. Don't harbor them or hold them hostage. Bring them to Jesus and let the word of God deal with them. When in doubt, give them to Jesus. And then finally here this morning, doubt can be more of a grace than you think. As we close here, this morning I want to say a few more things and I promise I will be done. See, I had to write that in my notes to make sure I said that, okay? Now I believe that doubt hasn't always been given a fair shake. Doubt is mostly known as an attack on our faith and can we agree that's, that could be the case? Instead of an insistent, an assistant to our faith, we can either see doubt as a way to push us closer to God, or we can see doubt as a way to drive us further from God. James 1.3 says this, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience or endurance, and that can be worked through doubts. Doubts serve more than just a destructive purpose. Doubt is often the birth pangs of deepened faith. I have an illustration here that I'm struggling to say because if some of you haven't seen Endgame, I don't want to spoil it, but I want to spoil it, but I don't want to. So I'm going to skip it, okay? Jess said, don't do that because people are already getting in trouble for spoiling it. People actually were getting hurt by other people for spoiling it. So I don't want to walk out of here and you see you by the parking lot, okay? So I'm going to skip over this great illustration or analogy that would lend to this, but let's move on. 
I like what Tim Keller says about this. He says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either an experience of tragedy or the probing question of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. I always used to see doubts as this thing to run from. I always, always used to see that. It's a danger. But without doubts, how are we going to strengthen our faith? Don't let your doubts use you. Take your doubts and use them. Charles Spurgeon said this, it is not my aim to introduce doubts and fears into your mind. No, but I do hope self-examination may help to drive them away. It is not security, but false security, which would kill. Not confidence, but false confidence, which would overthrow. Not peace, but false peace, which would destroy. I love what Spurgeon's saying. He's saying, look, doubts come to test your faith so that you could have the purest of confidence. You could have the purest of security. You could have the purest of peace. Because wouldn't it stink to have this false assurance? When doubts come in, don't let them attack your faith. Let them assist your faith. When doubts come in, don't let them destroy your faith. Let them deepen your faith. Take your doubts to the truth and allow that to spring up within you confidence and deeper faith because you got nothing to be afraid of because the book will always stand. The words will never fail. I love it. I feel like God's like, just bring them. Because a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Adrian Rogers said that. I don't want to claim it. Adrian Rogers said it. And then J.C. Ryle said this. Doubting does not prove that a man has no faith, but only that his faith is small. And even when our faith is small, the Lord is ready to help us. Listen, are you doubting this morning? Do you have questions this morning? God has given us some practical things too as well, which I, I just want to mention. He's given us a church. He's given us a people. He's given us a pastors and ministers and leadership. He's given us those as well to be a gift of grace to help you with questions that you might have this morning. You might be struggling with your salvation. I'll tell you right now, I struggled with it. Back in Bible college, I struggled with my salvation. What a place to struggle with it. I was in a bad situation. I was in a terrible spot in my life. And what began to creep in were these doubts. Mike, are you really saved? Does God really love me? Why would he do this to me? And I began talking to a friend on the phone, an older man from my old church. And I said, look, I'm struggling. I don't know why this has happened to me. I don't know why I don't feel like I'm saved. And he says, don't you get it? I was like, get what? He's like, the reason you're even struggling with it proves that there's faith. The reason that you're even concerned about knowing if Jesus is it is a proof of faith. And it was like this thing, just like light switch just turned on and 
Then I went to the Bible and I began to read in 1 John 5 and I just got so solidified in the scripture and that it showed the faith. It showed that God, God's faith is in me and all of these different things. And then boom, it was like a light switch. It turned off. No more doubt. Solidified in scripture. Strengthened and anchored once again. You see, when we doubt, we can either allow our faith to get smaller from a season of doubt, or we can see our doubts as a way that God can make our faith larger. And the Lord is ready to help. As I close here this morning, doubt is not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. And when doubts come, what will be our response? What will be our hope? This morning you've learned that you are not alone in this struggle. No doubt about it. Allow that to encourage you and understand that doubt does have a way out. You don't have to be stuck in doubt. And God is wanting to move you from doubt to faith. So bring your doubts to him. Just like John, he had doubts and he took them right to Jesus and Jesus sustained John's faith until the end. He will do the same for you. Jesus is so patient and gracious. And he will not hold this over your head. So bring it all to him. He wants to free you from doubt and free you to greater faith. See, our faith can be an assistant. It doesn't have to be an attack. Our doubts don't have to do that. And I believe this morning that God wants to increase your faith through your doubts. So when in doubt, know you're not alone. When in doubt, bring them to Jesus. And when in doubt, understand that it can be more of a grace than you think. Let's not be defeated anymore. If you got doubts this morning, you can deal with them. You can get freedom from them. Use them. Don't let them use you. God wants to give you deeper faith. He wants to strengthen you. Let's bring them to Jesus this morning, okay? Let's pray.